0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Gavin Shaw to take you into a very special roundtable edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jake Madison of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, Mike Richman of Locked On Blazers, Jeff Garcia of Locked On Spurs, and Matt George of Locked On Kings. To discuss five teams that are in NBA purgatory, we get into specifically on the Knicks, what they have to do to salvage their season, and how they compare to all their other teams and and how these teams can sort of figure their way out of this relatively dire situation. So all that and more right now on Locked on Knicks.
1: You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. He starts,
3: without a five, Ewing from the left, yes! Hucks, hucks left, now fires it, and he's good, and he's fouled, he's and he's fouled! Anthony for three,
4: Five. that one goes down! This is all rebound, back up, off the glass, it's good, R.J. Oh, Byron!
3: It becomes infectious,
4: it. It becomes infectious.
3: Welcome to our Locked On NBA Roundtable, discussing teams that are not true playoff contenders, but too good to be outright tanking. I'm Jake Madison, host of Locked On NBA and Locked On Pelicans. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. I'm joined today by Mike Richman of Locked On Blazers. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike G. Rich. We've got Gavin Shaw of Locked On Knicks. You can follow him at Locked On Knicks. Jeff Garcia of Locked on Spurs. He's at Jeff G Spurs Zone and Matt George of Locked on Kings. You can follow him over at Matt George SAC. So as I said, these are teams that are not amazing, but not outright bad, and maybe don't have a true path to contention or tanking either way. So the first question to everybody here, anyone feel their team doesn't really belong in this group and should maybe be placed somewhere else in some of the rankings, whether that's kind of a play in contender or an outright tanking team, something along those lines. Mike, I see you you bopping your head there. So, so do you think that's where the Blazers should be?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, they're as no man's land as a no man's land team could be, right? Like they tried to get bad and like truly tank over over the last, I don't know, two weeks leading up to the trade deadline, they intentionally got worse and now they've won four of five, um, which for them is like a hell of a run. So, yeah, they're stuck. They're truly stuck in no man's land where I think they they would like to be worse than they are right now. They've got a clear path back to being decent, but beyond decent is uh, would be a stretch, it would be very, very rosy outlook here in the Rose City.
0: Yeah, and one of those wins you know, for Portland was, was unfortunately against the New York Knicks who have now lost... 12 of their last 15, and I, I think they're in the epitome of no man's land because they have all these high-priced vets that they paid over the summer, signed up Nerlens Noel, signed up Alec Burks, Evan Fournier, Julius Randle, Kemba Walker, the, the worst of all those signings, um, when it's so clear that the future of their team is guys like R.J. Barrett, Quentin Grimes, and that's where they really need to reorient, but it, it seems like the front office, or at the very least Tom Thibodeau, hasn't quite caught up to that. So I, I would say that it's basically a microcosm of no man's land.
3: Yep matt what about you
0: this is
1: a position all too familiar from the sacramento kings over the uh the 15 playoff list seasons that we've had uh here in sacramento and uh so can i argue that the kings belong elsewhere absolutely not would it be better for the kings to be in a better <laughs> spot absolutely but hey we're used to it so uh, welcome in boys i've already set up shop
3: and i think um jeff's having a little bit of trouble here with his mic so we'll get him talking in a second um Yeah, we can hear you now. So do you think the Spurs belong in this category? You know,
4: kids, it's been a long time since the Spurs have been in this uh, situation. Uh, Over two decades. So this is new to me. This is completely new to me. But then again, I'm old enough to remember when they made their way from the ABA to San Antonio. And those were some very lean years back in the 70s. Do the Spurs belong in this group? Uh, I think that the way they're playing right now, I think they're going to just trip into that play-in spot. Uh, The bottom of the West is, you know... Kind of bad and the spurs are seemingly getting a little bit of groove right now um after one loss on the road trip they won two in a row they're staying competitive their season is gonna get a lot easier as far as the schedule is once this rodeo trip is over a good bulk of the remaining games are at home uh where they play a lot better so yeah i, I think it would not surprise me to see the spurs make that play in spot and then you know let the chips fall where they may but yeah um, record may not reflect it, but I really think they're better than what their ref- the record says. I think their plus minus is still one of the tops in the NBA. And, I mean, you look at total points scored, they're only like one or two away from their opponent. So they're, they're, they're in games. It's just a matter of can they get enough and uh, can they just maintain a little momentum they have going into the break and heading out of the break once it starts.
3: No, I I think that makes sense. And I think like the Pelicans still kind of belong in this spot too, despite swinging the trade with the Blazers for CJ McCollum seemingly trying to kind of push their chips in into being a contender. It's like an arms race in a sense for the 10th spot in the Western Conference to a degree right now. But they have this big looming question hanging over them about Zion Williamson and what's going to happen there, which we can touch on a little bit later that like holds them back from being like, yeah, they'll definitely get into the play-in spot and see what they can do because as Jeff said, the the bottom of the West isn't particularly great. So I mentioned the CJ McCollum trade. There were a couple of moves made with some of these teams at the trade deadline and maybe a move in terms of the Knicks that's still to come that might help them a little bit. So does that kind of change the, the calculus on how to view some of these teams, you know, Matt, let's start with you. Does the trade for Sabonis change some of the long term thinking with that team where it seemed more they're trying to be good now versus being one of the teams in, say, the tanking category?
1: I don't think it changes the long-term thinking. I think it just completely reinvents it. I mean, the, the Kings are now a completely different team. They have a, a, a two-time All-Star now, and DeMontis Sabonis, to pay, uh, pair with De'Aaron Fox. I'd argue DeMontis Sabonis is the best player on this Kings team, even if he's significantly underpaid compared to Fox, and if he's coming into a place where he's second fiddle to a primary ball handler. DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox have now given the Sacramento Kings something new to build around Kim and Kings fans Uh, something to now look forward to going into next season as to where before That Kings group that the Kings traded away, I think, six different players at the trade deadline. That group has proven to be an absolute failure and has been a failure for three years. Not that it's the fault of Tyrese Halliburton, who is the main piece the Kings traded away. I still think Fox and Halliburton maybe could have turned into something. But it's clear that the Kings have something now in Fox and Sabonis. Will that translate to actual wins and winning? I wouldn't put my money on it here because it's Sacramento. And (laughs) for that reason alone, it's not a smart bet. But there's reasons to be excited going forward. So to answer your question in a roundabout way, Jake, things are different. It's a different viewing of this group. It doesn't necessarily have to be win now, although if you're trading away Tyrese Halliburton, you expect to be winning games pretty quickly. So I know the play-in is still a goal, but the Kings aren't reliant on the play-in like they were before.
3: They've moved into win soon mode. There you go. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Gavin, so what about the Knicks? You know, oh you, you mentioned their their recent record and we've seen some of the collapses on TV that are that are pretty rough. I don't know, is there a move that maybe changes their trajectory a little bit in how we view that that team? Uh, firing Tom Thibodeau,
0: that would, that would would maybe do it. Um, no, but outside of the coaching situation, I mean, I think obviously at this point in the season, it's just all about what are you doing internally? And I think it's just, it's shifting focus to the younger guys on the roster and their development and Tom Thibodeau maybe as a, as a proxy for team president Leon Rose, made a comment that suggested that after the all-star break, the Knicks might uh, move that direction after losing three straight games in increasingly torturous uh, fashion. And, and you know what, that's what makes sense for the Knicks because they're not winning with the veterans. And we all know Tibbs is stubborn to a fault. He wants to play the guys that he feels will quote unquote make the least mistakes. But when that's Kemba Walker, just sort of like being anemic on offense and a revolving door on defense it doesn't really work anymore. And when someone like Quentin Grimes is showing off real potential, as like a three and D plus guy, hitting forty percent of his shots from distance, flashing defensively, RJ Barrett playing fantastic until Thibodeau left him in in a blowout and and got him injured. Uh, there, there's things to build around with this next team. They just have to reorient and reprioritize to do so.
3: And then Jeff, I, th- I thought that Spurs trade of Derek white to the Boston mm-hmm. Celtics, you know, was really kind of about some of the long-term thinking opening minutes for some of the younger guys like Primo that they have. Is that mm-hmm. how you're viewing that? Or is that done for a different reason?
4: No, you hit it on the head. It, um, it's not only just opening up minutes for these young kids. They have just waiting their Primo, you know, possibly Wee's camp down the road, but it's, it's just it was a move that needed to be done uh, white was kind of a logjam at that spot white as much as he would he's okay playing half I mean downhill he's more of a half courtish kind of guy doesn't lend to the roster you know Devin vassell wants to run Lonnie Walker wants to run it was a move that needed to be made you also get rid of yeah believe it or not guys Derek white was the highest paid spur it wasn't Murray <laughs> it was it was Derek White. You get him off the books. Now the Spurs are more than poisoned in the offseason uh, with more money in their pockets to chase a free agent all-star to pair with DeJounte Murray moving forward. Um, it was done for roster reasons. It was done for lineup reasons. It was definitely done for the lottery draft uh, that's upcoming. You know The Spurs have three first-round picks came from that trade with Boston as well as a trade with Toronto. So the Spurs' future is a lot brighter the rebuild that i went through back in the uh, late 70s early 80s with the spurs team was bad i was cheering for a busted up dominique wilkins okay that just came from italy to sign a one-year contract for the san antonio that how bad it was back in the day um and i think this rebuild now is going to be a lot shorter i don't think it's going to be as prolonged they can make moves in the draft they can make moves in the offseason with the money they got Yes, and I'm still putting it out there. These young guys, maybe minus Murray, um, are still flippable. I still think you look at these young kids like a Keldon, like a Devin, like a Primo. Yes, like a Pirtle to say, who is talking with us? Let's still try to move up this draft if they fall out of the top 10 uh, or if they can make a swing for the fences and bring in an established NBA forward that can stretch the floor. That's all the Spurs need. They're that one player away. And I really believe it's a stretch for and a quality all-star stretch for that they need to get
3: in camp ASAP. I don't know. That makes sense with the young guy development. And then yeah. Mike, you, you kind of mentioned it, right? Like there the Blazers are trading some pieces away, trying to kind of retool a little bit, but they're winning games right now. Do you think this is them kind of doing the same thing they've done with, say, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum before with just a new cast of characters? Or is there a way to true title contention through some of the moves they're making now? Uh,
2: n- no. <laughs> 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 no. Uh, you know, every Simon's really good. He's going to be a really good basketball player. Pairing him next to Damian Lillard is kind of what the Blazers have done for the nec- for the last seven seasons. I think you could argue that Amphrey Simons is better than C.J. McCollum or will be better than C.J. McCollum, uh, whatever you're projecting. But, like, they're two small guards. It, you kind of know the score of the game. This, this team has, a like I said, path to be decent, but it, like true contenders to get out of this range. I think the Blazers could be a playoff team next year without doing very much at all. I think they have a core to be a competitive team. But to do more than that... They feel like they're spinning the wheels. They, they really do. Um, but at least Damon Lord gets to do an interview about his unwavering loyalty every three weeks. <laughs> Provides nice content for the blogs. <laughs>
3: Uh, I mean that's kind of how I see that team a little bit too you know unless they're going for a full-on teardown rebuild and get lucky in the draft it's going to be more the same but that seems to work especially for small markets we would kill for that type of success I think in New Orleans to a certain degree of getting into the playoffs every year even if you're not a true title contender Memphis did that for a number of years too and that grit and grind run seemed to be very successful Energize their fan base and it can be okay I guess sometimes when you're not always going to be a title contender. So coming up, let's talk a little bit more about the play-in tournament, some of these teams. But before we get to that today's episode of Locked on NBA, the special roundtable of Locked on NBA, brought to you by betonline.net. Football might be over the season, but of course basketball is full steam ahead for both pro and college hoops. And so for the latest odds, totals, and player props, you can go to betonline.net. It's your number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Betonline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. They've got everything you could need. BetOnline.net does. Hockey, boxing, UFC, even if you want to get in on the Olympic action and coverage as well. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action over at BetOnline.net. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right. It's our locked on NBA roundtable discussing teams kind of in no man's land trying to get into the playing tournament. So let me pose this question to the group here. Of all of the teams we've mentioned and where they are in the standings right now, not selecting the team that you cover who's the team you think is closest to getting into the play in tournament jeff we could start with you
4: um you're gonna have to help me out here locked on blazers but uh we all stand right now the The blazers uh, are
2: in 10th they're two games ahead of the pelicans and the spurs unbeatable with justice winslow unbeatable you added you (laughs) had a stud like justice winslow and elijah hughes at the (laughs) at the trade deadline oh boy putting teams like the spurs in your rearview mirror
4: yeah, I've, I still got the Blazers though. I think the Blazers are the ones that I'm looking at right now as a possible team that could stay in that play-in spot area. Pelicans, I just don't know there. You know, um, I know Zion is kind of a big distraction right now. You know, will he play? Will he not play? What's the future of his career in 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 just in the NBA, or let alone the Pelicans? Um, CJ McCollum is that enough though? I mean, I know he and Bi, you know, possibly can be a nice one-two punch, but. Yeah, I think the Blazers, yeah, the Blazers and the Pelicans, I think I got those two ahead of the Spurs right now, as it is right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, outside of San Antonio, those are the two teams I'm looking at. What about you, Matt?
1: Yeah, looking at, uh, to me, it's the New Orleans Pelicans, just with the amount of talent that's on that roster. And I think not that this was the direct reason for the Kings finally pulling the trigger of moving Tyrese in, in the Pacers' deal, but I think... The Pelicans landing CJ McCollum only a few hours earlier uh, maybe had a, a slight effect, especially if the Kings do still have a goal of the play. And so, uh, just looking at talented rosters out of the group, I think the the Pelicans and Kings are the most talented, just with the names that they have. That doesn't necessarily mean anything for either team. Uh, but if I were if I were to pick, even if I could pick the Kings, I'd still pick the Pelicans at this point.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. Um, I think I think it's New Orleans. Uh, Portland, I don't know if they want to win as badly as New Orleans does. It feels like more of a priority right now in New Orleans. I mean, that being said, I mean watching Portland against the Knicks, they uh, after the not so good start, they look really, really good down the stretch. But that's everyone against the Knicks right now, so it's hard to put that in context. Anthony Simons is amazing. Like he might mm-hmm. be like the. Be- yeah, best guy, good. at least the guy playing the best on any mm-hmm. of these teams right now um but i know brandon ingram jake you could speak to this more than i could but he's made significant leaps as a passer uh love yeah. herb jones cj mccollum um the lead guard they've been they've been dying for for a long time like even at least offensively like brings you maybe even a little bit more than Drew holiday did in terms of creation um and if there's if there's even a small chance that zion could come back and, and give them like a push over the last couple of games Maybe not a thing, but if if you were to about that one um, in the second here. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I would I would say New Orleans is clearly the team with the best combination of talent and, and aspirations of, of genuinely wanting to win. Um, yeah, so I I would say I would say New Orleans.
4: You you guys just sleeping on the Spurs, aren't you? You're just sleeping on them.
1: Yeah, I, I love you, Jeff. I have no belief in that team whatsoever. No. I great think Popovich is still their coach. <laughs> wow. I, I I when you not not even
3: all-star DeJounte Okay, all right, I see was, how it is. That was like pretty emphatic right there. <laughs>
1: No, I'm, and it's not disrespectful because I'm coming from the Kings' perspective, so who the hell cares about what we have to say over here about <laughs> what it takes to make the playoffs? But I'm just – I i have – and they've burned me in the past. I have no faith in this sp- Spurs group to end up in that 10th seed. But
2: prove me wrong, San Antonio. What
3: about yeah, you, Yeah, I'll Mike? pick
2: the Pels too. <laughs> if we're doing it, I'll pick the Pels too. I think the Blazers might um, – they might do some stealth tanking at the last week of the season, and instead of playing Anthony Simons thirty-seven minutes, play him like thirty-two, and try to lose those five minutes as best they possibly can. Um, they'll have to. It's going to be real subtle, but pay pay close attention to that minutes column come you know late March.
3: It's also, you know, again, we're saying this right around the trade deadline, things, the calculus on some of these decisions really changes with like, a, you know, a mm-hmm. couple of weeks to go in the regular season when there's a little bit more separation and there's still a bunch of teams that are really close. So that kind of leads to, to the next question. And I can touch on Zion with this stuff. So we're talking about this season, but what, when you look at some of these teams here, right, you've got Portland with Damian Lillard, you've got the Wizards who are still kind of in this group with Bradley Beal, you've got Demata Sabonis and and De'Aaron Fox for the Kings, you've got Murray for the Spurs, and you've Julius Randle or some of the other young guys for the Knicks, and then Zion for the Pelicans, you know, who do you think is kind of the best one to, to build around or what's the best kind of core some of these teams have to try and contend in the future? And, and I'll, I'll say this with Zion, I'm not expecting him to play this season. Um, like 99 point something percent certain he's not going to be playing this season. There's been a bit of a derailment to his career and some things I think in terms of off court stuff, he needs to try and figure out and be a little bit more professional. So maybe that I, I think he'll be healthy next season, but I think that could potentially change how you view the Pelicans. So I wanted to throw that out there. So Gavin let's start with you of all of these teams who do you think maybe has the best chance of becoming maybe let's call it like a regular playoff contender in subsequent years.
0: Yeah, so I would I would still probably pinpoint Zion and the Pelicans in that category. I mean, I'm 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 look, I'm terrified of his injury stuff. It seems like really 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 bad right now and I mean the way the guy moves at his weight, like I don't know what changes going forward. But he is the one real blue chipper in this conversation, right? We, we talk about, like, in the NBA, like, like who, who can you go and win a title with as your best player? Zion is the only, he's, he's not, like, no, these teams have no one who fits that category as of this day. I would argue Zion is the only candidate right now on any of these teams. And, and that gives the Pelicans something that no one else has. Brandon Ingram is probably pretty clearly the second, like, the best second banana of any of these teams right now. C.J. McCollum is maybe the best third guy. On any of these teams right now, so I just don't know if anyone else can match New Orleans talent. Yeah. Obviously, New York has the market going for them. I think if they can get a Jalen Brunson this offseason and Again, reorient around their young guys. I mean, maybe New York gets a top five pick at this point. There's a world where that flips around pretty quickly. Uh, Damian Lillard still one of the greatest players on planet Earth when fully healthy. There's a case for Portland because of him and Simons, but uh, I would I would say New Orleans uh, with the big caveat that Zion's health uh, just just scares like me. A out. Huge
3: yeah. one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, what about you?
4: Yeah, I'm going to go with Zion too. You know, as long as he doesn't go Greg Oden. You know, it looks like um, the Pelicans. You know, likely have themselves. You know, that generational player that that is not in any of this list that we got sent ahead of the uh, this recording. You know, Murray's not it. You know, um, uh, Sabonis is not it. It's, it's Zion. He was the number one pick for a reason. So, um, generational player. If he can get healthy, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the guy you want to build around. I think the other guys, you know, they're they're good second, third options. You know, uh, maybe Damian just. I maybe mean, still hanging on you know portland can build something around him but no it's 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 clearly zion if he just get his health uh in check and plow ahead
3: matt
1: yeah i don't know how much i'm on the zion belief train i i, I like brandon get him, matt. a lot more in, in general i like the new orleans pelicans mm-hmm. is the reason why i i picked them for for the last question Um, But I also, like, if I'm picking a guy out of the group that I can have right now, it's Damian Lillard, and it's not a difficult decision. His age doesn't scare me. Damian Lillard's been there before. He's done it. He's walked the walk, talked the talk, even though he hasn't won a championship. Like, Dame is Dame. I'm not going to pick the Sacramento Kings, but if I can make a defense for the Kings in their core, number one, if you're trading away Tyrese Halliburton to bring in Sabonis, you damn well better be a playoff team in the next uh, couple of years, or you're watching Sabonis walk, and then you have to stare at the Pacers having Tyrese while you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs. But I will say, too. A lot of the national media has been focusing on the numbers that Tyrese has been putting out there, and rightfully so. Tyrese is, in my opinion, going to be a star in Indiana, and it sucks to see him go. But De'Aaron Fox is playing so much better basketball since Tyrese was traded away. He fits well with Sabonis right now. He's averaging close to 28 points a game since uh, since that trade happened on 50, 40, 80 shooting splits. He looks a lot more comfortable, and uh, De'Aaron's had a down year for sure, but people were gushing about him last year. Uh, and i think De'Aaron can return to that now paired with an all-star big that he has never had before in his career so don't sleep too heavily on the kings but of course everybody sleeps on the kings and
4: rightfully so but when i when i hear build around you know and i like dame don't get me wrong dame is great good player but at 31 years old you know he's already entering the prime you know how much more does he have you know, versus Zion, who's what, uh help me out here, what, 20, 21, 20, 21, 21, yeah, I mean, there's the age factor, you know, you really got to consider that when you're building around a player, you know, how much more years can you get out of Damien versus a healthy Zion, I mean, that's how I look at this question, you know, like, and I, for me, it's still Zion, unless until the wheels fall off of him, and he's done, you know, when I see that, you know, then I can say, okay, no, to hell with him, you ain't building around him at all, but if there's still a shot, and I know you want, you're hoping for that shot still, Jake, for him to come back. Yeah, I mean that's again a generational <laughs> player, generational player. I think at least on this list,
0: that's what I see. I'm, I'm not hearing a ton of Julius Randall love here, guys. What's what's going on? Why, Mike? Can you can you give me some nice stuff? Oh on yeah, Julius sorry, Randle? I was going
2: to no. pick Julius Randall as the most yeah, really valuable figure, yeah. core piece to to uh, trade around. I'm, I'll rank them: um, oh, Julius oh, wow. Randall, Chemezi Metu. Devin Vassell and probably Herb Jones. I'd say that was my top four (laughs) on the list. Um, You know, maybe, maybe Josh Primo ahead of Vassell, but you never know. Yeah. I don't know. I I think the Blazers best building block is Amphrey Simons, right? Like it's, he's, he's 22 and we're now into six weeks of him looking like an all-star. It's six weeks of basketball. I get it. Y'all. Um, it's since the calendar flipped, he's looked good. But uh, yeah, I think the Blazers' best building block is a 22-year-old who's going to get super paid this summer. Uh, and once you get super paid, people always treat you different. Um, look forward to Zion getting treated differently in the near future, a la Julius Randall.
3: Uh Look, they're going to offer him a contract extension. We'll see if he takes it and, you know, it would kick in after next year anyway. It, it, it comes down to that. It comes down to his health and it comes down to some of the let's call them professionalism things around Zion. I've, I've, I've said it before. He's missed some workouts, things like that, that could have aided in his recovery. I don't know if he's taking this in his camp, taking it as seriously as maybe he could or should be. And I think those are things that long-term could derail a career, but he's not going to be out of the league in the next year or two. And as Gavin said, it's he's probably of all the kind of young guys in here, the best blue chip prospect that has the most potential and i think you kind of bank on that long term and if i were a gm yeah i'd probably of all of the players on all of these teams be taking him number one yeah, overall he's, he's freaky
2: deaky shack i mean yeah he's freaky deaky yeah. shack like as as good as all the other players are none of them are like potentially the most dominant offensive force in the league um as much as i like Chemezi Metu.
4: <laughs> hey 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 he was a yeah, former possibly. spur so um i'm all down with metu man
3: um <laughs> Just, but gotta get him on the uh, court
4: yeah but um Jake, uh, is it more Zion just not wanting to be in New Orleans? Is there I don't know an if it's that. that.
3: There's there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. I think there's some friction between him and his camp in the front office that's leading to them not want to be as forthcoming about injury stuff with the front office and kind of surprising the front office on certain things, you know, his foot injury, never an injury like that to a player of that quality, never gets hidden until media day when that was just completely dropped on all of us. I was there with all the guys from ESPN, the athletic, and no one had any clue about this ahead of time till David Griffin said it. There's some weird stuff going on and there there's a lot of reason to be concerned about that in new Orleans. So, I got another question or two before we all wrap up coming up here next in this roundtable episode of Locked On NBA. But before we get to that, today's episode of this roundtable episode of Locked On NBA is brought to you by Bill Parts. That time of year where you've pretty much given up on your New Year's resolutions. But this year I'm doing really well. I'm eating healthier, and it's thanks to Built Bar. And it almost feels like not even really trying because Built Bar is so delicious. It's the best tasting protein bar out there. And they have some of the most unbelievable flavors you ever had. And if you've never tried the Puffs flavors, you've got to give them a try. You're missing out. They're one of the best tasting protein bars that Built Bar has. It's the first ever protein infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, and it's not just a protein bar, they're a treat. So whenever you have those sugar cravings or anything like that, my secret I grab a Built Bar. Because they're covered in 100% real chocolate, I keep some of the mint brownies with me all the time. It's like mint chocolate chip ice cream, but healthy and in protein bar form. So go to built.com. You got to scroll down to the macros. You're going to be blown away. These things are high in protein, low in calories. Most of them have 130 calories, four grams sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, or another protein bar, or any of the snacky things that you're eating, and built bar is going to win every time. Whether it's mint brownie, I have some of the white chocolate uh, raspberry cheesecake, which is also awesome. I have the uh the puff bars of the churro puff bar that's cinnamony they're great so go to built.com use promo code lock 15. get 15 percent off your next order again use promo code lock 15 for 15 percent off over at built.com i gotta admit
4: right, I, like the, for- I like the i like the cricket flavor i liked it y'all remember good the for cricket box? you
3: the cricket going, was actually going, like, really super good. healthy yeah Will the
4: cricket I- flavor was not bad
3: <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. We're free and available five days a week, and we're doing our special roundtables like only Locked On can with the hosts who cover these teams on a daily basis, talking about teams trying to get into the playing tournament, but maybe not being good enough, and not being good enough to outright tank. So I want to pose this question to everyone here. You know, the I, I'm a fan of the playing tournament. I think it's fun. The games last year when we finally got to really see them were intense. There was like a, a level you don't really see to that but is this good for the league as a whole? Is this good for these teams as a whole? One of the worst spots you can be in is that kind of eighth seed that just gets into the playoffs, but gets bounced out. Maybe you get swept and you don't have a high enough draft pick to try and really rebuild. So is this a good thing for the league or, and maybe it's a separate question, a good thing for these teams? Matt, let's start with you here.
1: Oh, I think it's a great thing. Even if it gives teams like the Sacramento Kings false hope, I think it's a a phenomenal thing look like last year the play-in was a complete success at least in the western conference two of the best games of the entire playoffs were in the play-in you got the the memphis grizzlies run that they went on because of the play-in uh i i completely stand by the play-in plus it it keeps teams uh that maybe are are looking at tanking earlier on in the season it keeps them a little more involved even if it ends up putting your team in a worse spot going for the play-in and missing out like the play-in is just a sexy way of of dressing up nba purgatory if you make the play and if you make the 10th seed and then lose your first game you're in the same terrible spot where you probably don't have a top 10 pick but at least you got to play one extra game that felt meaningful and, and that matters a little bit more for a fan base maybe i don't know so i i prefer that alternative to where the kings have been before the plan which is sitting at home on your couch after 82 games watching still with the terrible draft pick so i'm all for it
0: yeah, I mean, it gives you some of that March Madness energy, right? I mean, we we got, I felt like we had Davidson, Steph Curry last year when he was on this undermanned Golden State team going up against LeBron, going up against yeah. Anthony Davis. And he, he almost willed them to victory. And then you saw like the payoff of that two nights later, he was exhausted. And this young Memphis team said, all right, let, let's run them. This team that's dominated the league over the last uh, decade was all of a sudden out in a flash and I, I mean to matt's point like it doesn't really make a difference for the teams that lose like you were going to be the 9 10 seed with no excitement and now you get mm-hmm. this moment in the sun like this thrilling game um and this year like i'm excited to see brooklyn potentially in that situation like and i would love like brooklyn getting pushed to the edsy issues like there's not I, I don't i don't know if the eastern conference is <laughs> going to necessarily provide that type of challenge but i don't know if they have if they end up having to play like a uh, Toronto or an Atlanta or even I mean Charlotte's had their moments mm-hmm. this year like like that could lead to like a career defining moment for a Lamello ball or Trey Young like there there's just they're, there's a cool opportunity for guys to sort of cement their legacy not cement their legacies but add to their legacies on a one game basis and at the very least create some discussion create some excitement so I, I think it's a fantastic thing for the NBA
4: yeah I, I really believe this is the year we're really going to see uh the play-in tournament like step it up a notch uh, because of the teams that could possibly fall in that 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 position. You mentioned the Nets. You know, Imagine they get bounced in a play-in game. I mean, you can't tell me that's not going to be a storyline right there. Th- that would be awesome. I'm right through with you, man. I'm crossing my fingers too. Um, but, no, I, I think it's actually good for the league and it's good for teams specific. Uh, teams that are young, like San Antonio, they desperately need any type of pressure cooker experience, um, and it'll be good for them if they do make it um they were close a few years ago uh, at the bubble they missed it. they made it last last time it was done you know really relied on DeMar DeRozan and Rudy Gay to at least get them to try to get the win now this young core for San Antonio is really going to take advantage of it be in the forefront of trying to get past that game into the playoffs DeJounte Murray Devin Vassell they made it very very clear at Chicago they said They do not want to make the play-in. They want to make the playoffs. So if they're keeping that mindset, then they know how valuable to get into the playoffs, to make the the play-in, to make the playoffs is good uh, for them. But good for the league, gets more views on the TV, uh, gets more contact for here, for all of us at the Lockdown (laughs) NBA Network. Uh, So all in all, it's it's really, really, really good for everybody. But no, no no problems at all. As a matter of fact, too, um, you know, on the side, I cover the NBA 2K League, and it was actually uh, the NBA 2K League that was the property belongs to the NBA that started the playing ter- concept, and that's where the NBA uh, started seeing the success at that level. I know it's, I get it, it's a video game, I get it, but it's how how amped the uh, competition got, and I and um, it's a good thing. Trust me, I've I've experienced it, I've seen it on on, on two platforms: a hard, court, hard court and a virtual hardwood, and it works. Good, it's good, it's
3: a good thing. Mike, what you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of incentivizes teams like the Pelicans and the Kings to go for it in a way that's probably not like in the long term interests of their franchise because um, maybe that maybe that's not the path forward. But I think it's fun for us. Like, it's fun for people who watch the game. I really enjoy. I've enjoyed the play in. I think it's better for the last. More than just the single elimination games, the last ten days of the regular season in the NBA typically suck. They suck. Like teams aren't trying. Uh, you have no way to gauge if the good teams are good or not, or if the bad teams are like where they are. Uh, and I think the the last ten games, last the last ten days, last four or five games of the regular season are now like fun. They're legitimately important, and teams are trying to win. And I think beyond the single elimination stuff, that is to me as a viewer, I'm in.
3: I think it creates more engagement for fans, right? Instead of your team, as you mentioned, Mike, maybe stealth tanking and playing and resting some guys over the course of the final two weeks of the season. There's games that are meaningful. They're playing guys. Fans are kind of getting their money's worth. There's reasons to show up and go to these arenas instead of just staying home or to watch it on TV if you have a a setup where you're capable of doing that. So I think that long term is really good for the league. It might Create some short, you know, long term issues for some teams who maybe should be tanking and trying to get a top four pick instead of, you know, just trying to get in and then landing in the 10th spot. But I think the league wants to disincentivize tanking. And you're really seeing that happen with all of these teams and why you saw an arms race. You saw big trades that were designed around teams trying to get better to chase the 10th seat, not necessarily any higher than that, but just simply the 10th spot. That's fun. We love that sort of thing. And so for my last question for you all, before we wrap up, what's the biggest storyline to watch going forward with your team that you cover over this final third or so of the season? Mike, let's start with you here.
2: It's Anthony Simon's growth and the Blazers opportunity to get two lottery picks. They have a lottery protected pick that they owe to Chicago. If they hold on to the, if they miss the playoffs and hold on to that, they could end up with a a nice pick. They uh, have a, Protected pick that's owed to them by the Pelicans. If the Pelicans miss the playoffs, the Blazers might end up with two lottery picks and a pretty darn good 22 year old. That's a good place to start. So the biggest those, you know, New Orleans losing is a really big part of uh, Portland's (laughs) final 20 games here.
0: Gavin. I think it's just, I think it's finding a direction. As I mentioned before, it's uh, Tom Thibodeau, or if he gets fired, um, whoever temporarily replaces him, uh, deciding to prioritize the youth on the Knicks. And in turn, the development of RJ Barrett, who got off to a pretty horrific start this year, was was dealing with some stomach issues, and then really, really turned it on for like a four or five game stretch. I think he has... He had more 30-point games in 2022 than he did in like the previous 157 or so games he had played in his career. So he's someone who was making somewhat of a leap before our eyes. There are still some inconsistencies there. He still has a lot of trouble finishing around the rim. The three-point shot comes and goes, but he is someone who is hitting a new level. And the Knicks, they desperately need that central piece to build around. I don't know if RJ will be that but the Knicks need to find out approximately what his ceiling could potentially be, or at least what sort of developmental trajectory he is on. I think that is very doable. They just have to
4: make him the priority. Jeff, what about you? Yeah. um, I think uh, the Spurs chase for the play in playoff spot, obviously is one of the bigger uh, storylines. And uh, once the season uh, resumes the continued development of DeJounte Murray, you know, can he turn into just being a good player into maybe possibly you know, a, t- a player the Spurs can build around. Maybe they don't have to look for that next guy. Maybe it's already sitting there. Um, also, too, I mean, I think this is not, not getting enough coverage, and it's probably he likes it that way, and that is Greg Popovich. Three more wins. That's all he needs. Three more wins to become the all-time NBA winning this regular season coach. That was a mouthful. Uh, DeJounte Murray said at uh, NBA All-Star 2022 Media Day that they are gunning for it. They want to get it for him, and I think, yeah, three more wins, they should be able to get that. I just think jinx the Spurs probably right now by saying that. (laughs) But, (laughs) uh, but nevertheless, yeah, you know, and also, too, rooting for Boston and Toronto to lose because of those first-round picks. I think that's also to keep an eye on. And, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, just, and then how this team is going to really look towards the end of their season because I think this offseason is going to be huge for San Antonio, big for them and how their franchise either continues the rebuild, shortens it, or just turns it over overnight. So, yeah, those things they would be keeping an eye on for San Antonio fans.
3: Matt?
1: Yeah, for the Kings, it's, it's it's as simple as De'Aaron Fox and DeMondis Sabonis. How does that pair continue to look together? Can you go into the offseason with confidence that that pair with a couple more additions or subtractions or tweaks during the offseason can turn into a team that you can confidently say belong in the playoff, not the play in the playoff conversation next season? If you can't say that with confidence heading into this offseason, then already you're looking at the, the trading away of Tyrese Halliburton as a mistake. So it's it's Fox and, and Sabonis and, and them getting comfortable together.
3: For the Pelicans, it's can CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram find the right equilibrium in terms of kind of you go, I go on offense and then finding the right kind of rotation that also gives a little bit of defense because that's been a bit of a struggle. And then, of course, the overarching concerns around Zion Williamson with this Pelicans team, which is like the larger issue this season and beyond. So that's gonna do it for this Locked On NBA round table. Thank you all very much for tuning in and thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. That's Mike Richman of Locked On Blazers, at Mike G. Rich. We got Gavin Shaw of Locked Locked On Knicks at Locked On Knicks. Jeff Garcia, it's at Jeff G. Spurs Zone of Locked On Spurs. And Matt George of Locked On Kings at Matt George SAC. And I'm Jake Madison, of Locked On Pelicans at mill with Jake on Twitter. Thank you all for listening and enjoy the rest of the week.